If you have your Bibles, make your way to the book of Esther. Say amen. 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 As you're finding chapter 4, chapter 3 actually, go to chapter 3. A woman took her husband to uh, the doctor's office. And after the checkup, the doctor said, hey, lady, um, let me just say, your husband is suffering from a very serious infection. The husband, though, being hard of hearing, with some issues with his ears, he looks over at his wife and says, what did he say? She says to him, you're sick. Okay. The doctor goes on, though, and he says, but listen, I want you to know that there's hope. There's hope in this circumstance. You just need to reduce his stress. Each morning, I want you to give him a healthy breakfast. You know, be pleasant to him and kind to him. For lunch, I want you to prep his favorite meals. I I don't want you to talk about the problems that you guys are facing in front of him because that will only further stress him out and that will be bad. Most importantly, I want you to cater to your husband's every whim. And if you can do this for the next six months to a year, he will make a 100% recovery. So the man looks over at his wife. He said, what did he say? She turns and says, you're going to die. You're going to die. We can laugh at that, right? We laugh, we laugh at that silly old story. But, you know, let me ask you this, all right? Let's just shoot up a hand, all right, if you could. Let's be interactive this morning. How many of us are laughing when you wake up feeling so refreshed? But then you realize your alarm should have gone off an hour ago. How many of us are are, are laughing when, you know, you're home juggling the kids and your spouse is out on a mission trip for eight days? Love you, Nat. How many of you guys are laughing when a strange fluid starts leaking from your car? My wife made me not laugh when I told her that this morning. And she says, oh, I could care less if it's leaking. That will stress me out. It's like the woman who heard her car go, patonk, patonk, blum. And the guy asked her, okay, so uh, do, do you have gas in your car? And she said, uh, yeah, I filled it up before I came. And he said, okay, well, uh, that's the extent of my mechanical skills. So let me ask her, oh, I, I, I remember one. Did you change the oil to which she says, you got to put oil in this thing? That would stress me out. How many of us are laughing when you accidentally delete your quarterly report 10 minutes before you have to go meet your boss? How many of us are laughing when your dog gets sprayed by a skunk? Yeah, my wife was not laughing then. Smelled the whole house for months. How many of us are laughing when you've run out of money, but you haven't run out of month? How many of us are laughing when the toilet is overflowing? But hey, at least you found your quarterly report. Stress. Anybody ever been there? Anyone here feeling it right now? It's okay. We're in church. We can can be honest, right? Stress is very real. It's very true. It happens to all of us. It grips us in different ways and in various forms. And it takes its toll on our bodies, our lives, our spirit. And today in our summer upgrade series, 
I want us to take a look. We're seeking to redeem the dog days of summer, right? We, we don't want the temperature to just get hot and, and for things to make us sweat. But I want to redeem the dog days of summer by intentionally focusing on stress. That's why I'm, 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 ex- I'm grateful that God puts some stories in the Bible that truly gets to emulate these things and bring out some lessons for us. I'm reminded by what Stanford neuroendocrinologist Dr. Robert Sapolsky says. He said this, that stress is not just what happens to you, but how you respond to it. Let me say this again. Stress is not just what happens to us, but how we respond to it. Are you in Esther chapter 3? Say amen. Come on, say amen. Amen. All right. Let's look at the life of a person who exemplifies That stress is not just what happens to us, but how we respond to it. I want us to take a look at some key lessons that I find in this scripture and in this narrative. Esther chapter 3. Let's begin in verse 8. Let me give you the rub. If you're there, say amen. amen. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, your Bible might say Xerxes. Xerxes is the Persian name for him. He was the Persian king. This is what Haman said. There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other person, and they do not keep the king's laws. So that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver. This is big money, folks. Big, big money. I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they may put it into the king's treasuries. Wow. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the Agatite, the son of Hamadetha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, The money is given to you, the people also, to do with them as it seems Good to you. Now jump down to chapter 4. Go to verse 4. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. I don't know what you're picturing in terms of your own stress level right now. But I think this right here blows some of ours completely out of the water. Whatever stress level we might be feeling at this moment, my question is, is there somebody bent on genocide trying to take you and your whole people out right now? That's stress on a whole other level. Lift up your hands with me. Father, I pray that you would help us with your Holy Spirit to just make this practical in our hearts. Teach us today, Lord. Equip us, Father. Let us upgrade in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Let me give you the context and break this down for a second because we kind of came in hot. We came in right at the tension moment. So the people of Israel have been in exile. They have lived their lives like obeying God at times and then walking away and dealing with idols and, and, and just, you know, going and being disobedient, denying God and his power, overlooking his miracles, foregoing his grace. And so God's allowed them to go through a season of judgment where they're being oppressed by foreign powers. They've been removed from their land, their context, their culture. They no longer live in the confines of their own country and enjoy their own lands, have autonomy. No, they're ruled and subjugated in a foreign land by the Persians. And we come upon this story in this moment. There is a young orphan by the name of Esther, who was raised by her cousin Mordecai, who worked at the king's palace in Susa. Through a series of unexpected events, she was chosen to become the next queen of Persia. She was chosen to marry the king. She's the wife of King Xerxes. And despite her newfound position of influence, her new status, her Jewish identity is completely on the down low. Nobody knows except her cousin, Mordecai. It remains a secret. The main source of Esther's stress emerges when Haman, the wicked prime minister, the second in command after the king, hatches this genocidal plan to delete all of the Jewish people. And I'm using an euphemism here. He wants to eradicate, annihilate, wipe them off the face of the earth. Not just cancel them, okay? His motivations all stemmed from some petty, stupid argument. Some pride being filled in his heart. He has a personal vendetta against Mordecai because Mordecai, being a Jewish man, will not bow down to Haman when Haman wants all the pomp and all the celebration. Mordecai's Jewish faith does not allow him to bow down. And so Haman hatches this plan. He convinces the king, we need to create an irrevocable decree, law, sign it into effect, and spread it all throughout the land that every single Jewish person throughout the empire needs to be killed. Can you just imagine that for a second? That's heavy. Esther, who initially, you know, experienced some relative shelter in her life as queen, is suddenly found uh, in this position at the center of this impending tragedy. There is a problem coming her way, and it is massive. Mordecai urges her to interfere, to step in and intercede with the king on behalf of the Jewish people. However, Approaching the king, even if you are the queen, uninvited, unannounced, without being bidden to come, was means for execution. And the king, even though she's his wife, he could have her killed because she's done so out of order. The dilemma puts Esther in a very precarious situation. 
I need to protect my life and I'm worried that I might die if I show up and I have to, you know, do something because the weight of my people's future lies on my shoulders. And so she's in a precarious moment situation. What do I do? And then stop and think about this. All right. If you go back and read the beginning of the book of Esther, you'll realize that this king that she is married to is not really completely hinged properly. He can fly off the handle. The whole reason why she's queen is because he decided he wanted his former wife to show up nude in a public banquet so everybody could see her. She refused, and so he strips her and boots her off of the kingdom, and he decides to throw a beauty pageant to find himself a new queen. He is not really predictable. So Esther has the weight of showing up and maybe dying. She has the weight of her people, but then she also has this weight on her heart that what if I do all this and still I cannot sway the heart of this king? He's unpredictable. What if I try my hardest, my best, I give it my best shot, my effort, and I still can't do a single thing to change the circumstances? So when you weigh all of this together, the magnitude of her decision, it's overwhelming. The internal struggle, the fear, the concern for people, the immense responsibility of the moment, and she's in the midst of this stressful moment. Can you guys picture it? Can you imagine the woman from earlier? Oh, Esther, you're going to die. What did the doctor say? You're going to die. I'm, so, I'm sorry. You got, you, this is very stressful. This is very tense. I'm sorry. You're going to die. Unfortunately, when it comes to stress, have you ever found this to be the case? When it comes to stress, people tend to adapt these false mindsets. They... they, they quickly grab onto these ideas and mindsets that say, I have no control over the stress. Or the source of my stress will not change. Or if I'm feeling stressed, that means I've failed. There's all of these false narratives that people will gravitate to, but I thank God that this scripture is here, that God gave us this book of Esther to give us this idea in purview that you do not have to subscribe to fatalistic mindsets. You do not have to be condemned and, and, and written off and that's it, it's over. How many of you can, can just say, just for that fact alone, that there's somebody who was able to overcome difficulties and stress, so God, that gives me hope. Anybody? Praise God. What can we learn from this woman? If, if stress is not just what happens to us, but how we respond to it, then how did Esther respond because, boy, she's got a big helping of stress on her plate. The first thing that as I'm studying and researching that has come to my mind, go over to chapter 4, verse 14. This is what Esther learned that she needed to utilize so she can up her stress game. So she could upgrade in the moment that she most felt anxiety and strain. The first thing is that you need to embrace courage in the face of adversity. Verse 13. This is Mordecai, her cousin, speaking to her. He says, do not think to yourself, Esther, that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all other Jews. 
For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Just a side note real quick. I've read this before and I've even said this before without looking into it fully. That you know what? There's this passage that says, hey, if you do nothing, then God will work out something. If you don't do something, God will bring a solution somewhere else in some, some other way. But let me just tell you, when you start looking at the language and you read the commentators, you start to realize that there's some rhetorical, you know, sarcasm being utilized on the part of Mordecai. He's like, do you think that God will bring solution from somewhere else? See, I want you guys to understand this. God has placed you where he's placed you because he has called you to bring a solution. God has called you to your family. He's called you to your job. He's called you to your neighborhood. He is seeking you because God has prepared good works for us ahead of time that we might be his workmanship and accomplish his plan. God's calling you, Esther, into this moment. And then he says this incredible sentence. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Friends, in stressful situations, in crisis circumstances, there is no neutral position. Somebody say amen. There is no neutral position. In the moment of a crisis, failure to decide brings personal loss. It brings further problems. It misses the opportunity that God had ordained for you to accomplish. The purpose that he has cultivated lined up like dominoes so that when he hits the one impact and then it goes and it triggers the next domino and the next thing, the purpose that he ordained, the design that he had, it will not be fulfilled if we choose to remain neutral in a time of stress. It's in these moments that we need words like Mordecai's words. Can you feel the jolt that he gives her? Who knows if you have not been called for such a time as this? Okay, Esther, let me, okay, somebody has the green light to wipe us all out. And what? What now? Okay, friend, you've run out of money. The month isn't over yet. What now? Okay, your kids are acting ratchet. What now? Okay, fine. Your boss has unrealistic demands upon you. What now? All right, fine. You have this imposing, crazy situation that is in front of you. What now? The court's ruling wasn't in your favor. Okay, what now? What now? It's at these moments that we don't just say, oh, man, nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrows. No, no, no. It's in these moments that we need to man up, woman up. It's in these moments that we need to say, where's the courage? Instead of us saying, you know what, I, the, the, the source of my stress can never be changed. It's time for us to reframe, okay? And we need to step in and start saying, how can the source of my stress change? How? Because I need to start opening up this thing to possibilities. 
That's the moment that we need to rise up. How many of you are glad that Jesus didn't say in that moment, man, that garden is coming and I know what tomorrow is bringing. I know that I have to go and be whipped and beaten and accused and lots are going to be cast from my, from my clothes and a, thorn, a, a crown of thorns is going to be placed upon my head. I'm going to be nailed on that cross. Oh man, nobody knows my sorrows and I think I'm just going to chill right here. Oh Lord, uh, actually, I, I need an Uber back. Bring me home. It's in these moments that we need to take up courage and challenge fatalistic thoughts and dead ends and start inviting God to bring in some possibilities. There's actually a Texas, uh, University of Texas study that had participants with fear of spiders undergo gradual exposure therapy. What they did is they would bring these people and they would just show them a picture of a spider. Or they, first they started talking to them about a spider and then they brought a picture of a spider and then they showed them a video of a spider and then they actually put a spider in a room like 100 feet away and then they started bringing that, that, that thing a little closer and the gradual exposure to the spiders resulted in less fear being you know evident inside of people's hearts it created greater self-efficacy in these people and more resilience in them we need bravery there was a study of women who with breast cancer that found that those who reacted to their diagnosis with determination and a fighting spirit they had lower levels of cortisol and epinephrine and anxiety compared to the passive responders. Church, it's in moments of stress that we need a dose of courage to say, God, I don't know how this is gonna happen. I don't know how this is gonna change, but I do not believe that my circumstance will never change. God, how can this change? What is possible? Father, open up my eyes to the possibilities and give me the boldness to step up. How many of y'all listen to, uh, to, to, to the Lion King? You ever heard Mufasa <laughs> say to Simba, Son, it's not that I'm not afraid, but bravery is taking action even in the midst of your fears. We need bravery. And Esther, in that moment, grabbed a hold and she stepped up. I don't know what is going on in your stress life right now. I don't know what it is, but you want to up your stress game. You want to upgrade this summer. Then I want you to identify one fear, identify one stressor. It might be different for you than from you than from you, but I want you to identify one and, and start asking God, God, how can I approach this bravely and look at it with some courage and determination because you can't afford to do nothing. Doing nothing will change absolutely nothing. The one thing that it will change is it'll make it worse because there's no standing still. There's only going backwards if you're not making progress. Now look over to, second, uh, to, the, to verse 16. Right after, right after this challenge, we find Esther upping her game by seeking counsel and support. Verse 16, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa. And hold a fast on my behalf. After realizing that there was no hiding and no ignoring the stressor, Esther takes action. She calls for a fast. Man, some of us don't even know what that word means. 
Some of us love our food so much, we don't know what that means. She calls for a fast, for a period of foregoing food for the purpose of stepping into prayer so she could seek God, gain support in the number of people, the Jewish people. Look, we got a problem. There's somebody trying to eradicate us. We need to band together in this moment and we need to cry out to God, have mercy on us, Lord. Intervene in our circumstance. Step into the midst of our problem. God, give us some clarity, some guidance, some wisdom so that we can take the appropriate action. She calls a fast. The Bible tells us Proverbs chapter 20, verse 18, plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance, wage war. Man, I love that. I I like coming to church and worshiping God and getting emotional sometimes. But how how many men are here? Men, say hello. How you doing? Good. You might not get excited about singing sappy songs, but how many of y'all get excited when, when, when we say, we're going to go to war, we're going to take back some territory, we're going to take some names, and we're going to push back the enemy, we're going to take back that which was stolen from us, we've got authority, we can hold on to our possession, we are going to advance, we are going to demand respect, we are going to step in and be victorious, our enemies got nothing in store for us man i get excited with wisdom wage war through counsel you are victorious plans are established how many of you all heard of something called the slave trade it's a stain on our history not just america but all around the world and oh let me just tell you The slave trade is alive and active. It just looks different nowadays. Now it's related to human trafficking and sex trafficking and all sorts of other types of indentured work that that, that look polished and prim and proper, but it still happens today. But when, when it was happening back in the British Empire, William Wilberforce... He regularly convened a council that he called the Clapham Sect. It was a group of Christian politicians and activists who supported his fight and counseled him during his long battle against the slave trade in the British Empire. He would convene this group, I need some support. D.L. Moody did the same thing. He would meet with his pastor. He would meet and, and write letters to people. David Brainerd, missionary to Native Americans here in the U.S., did the same thing. He would keep a diary showing he, how he fasted for three days straight while facing illness, rejection, loneliness. And he would write letters to his pastor friends seeking encouragement. Church, th- this, this works in the church world. But look, science has borne this out. In the workplace, a study was found that those who actively pursued advice from their peers, from their mentors, from colleagues, they had lower salivary uh, cortisol and fewer sick days, hello, compared to those who didn't. It's been borne out. An experiment found that students who received helpful coaching and tips from their, uh, before their math test had lower cortisol reactivity 
compared to those who didn't. What does that mean? Cortisol is the hormone that is produced in our body that induces stress. It's the stress hormone in our bodies. Our bodies are made up of chemicals. God has made us, you know, uh, spirit and physical body. He's, he's given us this, this dynamic interplay and, and balance. And so we need to understand how our bodies work. When you find counsel, when you fast... Oh, I didn't even tell you about fasting, did I? Some of y'all think that fasting is just a spiritual thing that you do. Like, I'm going to go without, you know, food, and I'm going to be a holier-than-thou person, and me and Jesus are going to get tight and grow closer, and things are going to be awesome. People are going to look up to me, spiritually speaking. But let me just tell you, even fasting blesses your physical body. Brain scans using MRI show that fasting can increase cortical Thickness in areas involved in regulating stress like the anterior cingulate cortex and frontal lobe. Man, some of y'all just went to science class right now. But bottom line, all of that enhances our neural control over stress in our bodies. Isn't that incredible? Reduction in inflammation is one of the mechanisms of fasting's stress reduction effects. Markers like CRP and cytokines involved in chronic stress are lowered during fasting periods. Some of us need to say, you know what, I forget the whole losing weight situation. I just need to fast so that I can gain some sanity. I need to spend some time. So I don't know what's stressing you out. I don't know what's going on, but can you up your stress game this summer by just making this decision? Go invite a mentor. Go invite a family member that you trust. Go invite a friend, a pastor, somebody that has gone before you, somebody who has your best interest in mind, and say, hey, I want to buy you lunch. And then when you show up and you buy them lunch, don't buy one for yourself. Sit down, zip your lip in terms of food, but open up your mouth and tell them what's stressing you out. You're not impressing anybody by suffering in silence. <laughs> you said, Dr. Ete, it's weird. Here in this country, a lot of people, just, they just love to suffer in silence. <laughs> You're not impressing anybody and you're not helping anybody. You know, and men, hear me out. I'm not talking about getting all sappy and mopey and being emotional and breaking down in front of everybody. You know, you know, you say this in a group of women, they all get excited. Yeah, let's share our feelings. And guys are like, man, get me out of this room. And here's, here's one thing. Let me, let me just be clear. Um, ladies, you might want your man to be more emotionally connected, but let me just tell you. You, you, you say that you want that, you don't, when, when the stress hits the fan, okay, and things get thick and difficult, you might say you want them to be emotional in that moment, but you don't. What you really want is them to man up and step up and solve the situation and be that sense and strength for you as, as the leader of your home. So you know what? Stop telling them that you just want them to be emotional because they're not going to get emotional in front of you. They need to go find another man, another person that they trust, that cares for them, and that they can open up to. And they need to be in the midst of the storm with a face full of bravery and passion. Guys, I'm not calling you to become mopey men. I'm calling you to be warriors. I'm calling you to be men on fire for Jesus, who have the ability to be vulnerable in the right places and moment. You can be vulnerable before your father. You go into your prayer closet and you let it all out to God. But in the midst of the fire and the battle, you put on that face, you put on the armor, you get your sword, you go to war. But you got to 
open up. We all need to. Find someone you trust. Up your game. You're not going to die if you skip a meal. Let me say that again. If you fast, you will not die. It'll probably be a blessing. I was talking to my wife, and I'm like, honey, y'all got to excuse me, all right? So I, so I come to church sometimes. Before I come to church, I have a mental battle. I, I, I've talked to the staff. I said this. I want to be intentional when I show up to church and how I dress because I want to dress in a way that's inviting to the person who's outside coming in who doesn't have. They're giving them their best, but all they got is tattered clothes. They're giving it their best, and all they've got, that's it. So, so I want to dress in a way that makes them feel wonderful and, and comfortable. Um, but I also make it open where, Sam, you can come in dressed up to the nines, man. And I always admire you showing up to church. Dr. Ette, sometimes I feel underdressed when I stand up next to you guys. Just know that there is some intention behind it because I want those who are coming in who don't know Jesus, who's giving it their best, and their best might not measure up to ours, and they show up, we want to invite them and be welcoming to them however they come. Amen? Amen? But then secondly, I was telling my wife, none of my clothes are fitting me anymore. All of my pants are like, you know, three or four, you know, tugs and, and twists. And I'm like, what's going on, honey? But I'm pressing into God and I know that God is doing something in my life. He's getting ready to do something in this church. I need to seek his counsel. I want to forego some food because it's not just about filling this this natural man, but it's about pressing into him and God is doing something. Amen. I know God is changing things in our home and changing things in my faith journey. And he is going to change things in this community that they don't know what is about to hit them because God is on the move. So it's okay for us to forego and see counsel and support from our Lord. Try it. It will bless you. And if, hey, you lose some weight, amen, that's a bonus. Go over to chapter five. Esther met her stress with bravery in the midst of adversity. She sought wise counsel and support. But I love this next step. Esther chapter five, verse four. This is what she says. If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. This is genius. Genius on her part. Esther refused to buy into the lie that says this. How many of us have heard this speaking to us in the midst of our stressful moments? I can't do anything over my stress. She refused to buy into that junk. Her request that the king and Haman attend a private banquet that she had already prepared indicates that here is a woman who is carefully working out a plan that she's devised. She is working. She's not letting things just come to and happen. She's not flying by the seat of her, seam of her pants. She, she is absolutely intentional. I told you that showing up before the king without being invited, without having an invitation, without being summoned was a risky move. The king, if he did not extend his scepter to her, he would have extended his sword and cut her down at that moment. So Esther, coming before the king, risking her life in his presence unannounced, To merely show up and say, I 
want to invite you to lunch. It signals that, hey, the real issue hasn't been discussed yet. This lady's got something up her sleeve. She's planning something. There's something going on. She's not letting the cat out of the bag yet. Well, what's the deal here? It piqued his interest. It made him interested. But not only that, man, she was strategic. Because inviting the king to a feast, it was in line with court etiquette. She is operating in the atmosphere, in the context of her world. She's dealing with dignitaries and banquets and balls and dances and all these regal activities. And so she is just flowing in the midst of her circumstance, planning, how can I be strategic with my situation? Not only that, when you stop and think about this, she is inviting the king, not into his office or throne room. She's inviting him to the table. Some of us want to come to, you know, we meet somebody, we're dealing with a situation, we just start going right at it, like, all right, let's start hashing this out, working out, and we didn't even say hello. How many of y'all talk to people and, like, you get texts and, like, all of a sudden, like, well, it's your f- close friends and family, you can just go for it, but, like, you know, how many of y'all would reach out to somebody you don't know and just start going at it, telling them what you need, without even saying, hi, how are you? I hope you're well. I hope this email finds you well. No, but you just, just you know, uh, how's it going? How come the order wasn't here and what's going on? Uh, who are you? <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't know you from Adam. You know, there's etiquette. So she, she brought him to a place where his guard would have been down. It would have been more conducive and more open and more inviting for her to have a difficult conversation. Let's get him out of the context of the throne room where his sword is right there. The scepter and the sword. Let me, let me take him to the table where we got some drinks coming through. And we got some food to fill his belly. And we got some nice entertainment going on so we can talk and have a conversation. This lady was strategic. Not only this, all right, let's want, take it up a notch. Talk about strategy. She invited him to a banquet and said, then we'll invite Haman as well. And she's inviting them to a place where Haman would not have been tipped off that there's something amiss. Strategy, guys. The Bible says that plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Proverbs 21.5. What does the studies show? There's been studies on nurses, hospital nurses, who participated in deliberate pre-shift planning and priority setting. And they were shown via finger stick blood samples to have lower cortisol levels than in their shifts relative to the nurses who did not. Some of us, we just want to show up and whatever happens, happens today. God, Jesus, you have your way. This is going to be awesome. You're operating off of your enthusiasm. Well, let me just tell you, there will come a day when enthusiasm won't take you any further. Preparedness and enthusiasm, that's alacrity. And that will take you far. When one can't keep you, the other will sustain you. 
and just preparedness without enthusiasm makes no difference. No one will listen to you. You've got to have both together operating, being prepared. What's an actionable step? What can we do? I want you to identify a stressor in your life. Find a fear that's going on and wreaking havoc in your soul. It's coming and dominating your home. I want you to come up with a strategic plan. How can you change this circumstance? Change the narrative. I can't do anything about my situation. Let's just try this. Maybe, maybe you're going through a relational strain with a family member at home. Don't lift up your hands. I'm praying with you. Maybe you need to just set up a goal. Just say, you know what? I'm going to shoot for only two arguments this week instead of seven. Hey, we got to start somewhere, right? Some of y'all want to become, you know, the best thing since sliced bread in day one without any effort. <laughs> the moment you speak it, it's all solved. Like, there's baby steps. Instead of having seven arguments this week, one for every single day, we're going to have two days of arguments and that's it. Set yourself a lag measure. That, that's a lag measure. That means that's a measure that you can set and you're going to evaluate post-completion. Once it's done, you can see the results. At the end of the week, what will you do? Sit down, look at your week, take out the calendar and say, on Tuesday we fought, on Friday we fought. We had five days in this week, we did not fight. Woo, throw yourself a party. Start somewhere. But then you know what? Take it a step further. Make it a lead measure. And what's a lead measure? Lead measures are inputs that dictate future outcomes. Some of us, all we say is, I want to have a better marriage. I want to fight less. Well, you need to become a lot more intentional because just saying you want to do it less ain't going to help you do it less. But how about you set these lead measures instead? Say, you know what? This week, I'm going to spend X number of minutes listening wholeheartedly before interrupting in conversations. Or what about this? I'm going to have X number of interactions I initiate that are life-giving and encouraging no matter what. That's a lead measure, man. You start doing those and you can start cultivating, predicting, influencing future outcomes. Y'all got invitation cards in front of you, all right? Go ahead, lift it and show this, show this to me real quick. This is a lead measure right here. We want more people in this church. I'm going to commit to handing out five of these this week. I'm going to hand out one of these this week. Pastor asking me, you know, how many people did I invite to church? Man, I'm going to just say I gave out five of these to living, human, breathing people. And I said, this invite could change your life. Because if you actually come to meet Jesus Christ, he will change your destiny. Instead of us just saying we want more people in church, take a lead measure and start doing something about it. All right, I've taken way too long here, but I think you're understanding. You want to up your game with your stress, then you know what? You have to meet adversity with courage. You have to seek support. You got to take control strategically. But then look at what Esther does, verse five, chapter 5, verse 8. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my wish... Come to the feast that I will prepare 
tomorrow. Wait, wait, hold up, Pastor. We're at the feast right now. Come to the feast that I will prepare tomorrow. Church, if we want to up our game when it comes to stress, we need to practice patience and timing. The Bible tells us that there is a time for everything, a season for everything, a time for every matter under the sun. What a bold move. She has her audience and she does not barrel through. Uh, Esther in that moment realized what I've realized. That you know what? I'm not having a budget conversation with Nat when I've just overbooked the calendar. If I try to have a budget conversation with my wife when I've just made a bonehead decision, I've realized that that is not going to fan and fare well for me, for us. That is a surefire lead measure for me to initiate an argument. So there's a time for everything. Esther sensed the timing was not right for her important request. She, she had, uh, you know, to, to have conversations and preparations in place, uh, things that were essential for this interaction and transaction. And so we need to understand with God's wisdom that there is a time for everything. In her situation, Haman had not fully matured in all of his arrogance. In her situation, if you just go on to read the next couple of verses, read verses 9 through 14 of chapter 5, and you're going to realize that Haman needed to get boastful. And he was going to set up punishment for Mordecai. He was going to build a gallows so that he could see his enemy be hung in front of him. And he could parade it over everybody. Not only that, Esther realized, I need to make this guy so comfortable that when he comes to the next banquet and I finally release the bombshell of his plan before the king, that he will not have had a chance to come up with any political aversions. There's a timing, church. You want to solve the issue with your spouse, there's a timing for your conversation. He just got home from work and he's tired and exhausted and he wants to go into his nothing box. That is not the moment. She wants to talk to you about her day and her emotions and and everything that's gone on. And you just want to solve the issue so you can go into your nothing box. It is not the moment. She just wants you to listen. There's a time. There's a season. Among new mothers who responded with patience and emotional acceptance to infants' unpredictable sleep patterns and feeding schedules, they showed lower postpartum depression and anxiety than the moms who did not want to accept it. There's a timing. There's a preparation. Upgrade your stress game by being fully present in the moment. Practice mindfulness. And what is mindfulness? It's contemplative prayer. It's not being mindful, let me empty my mind and go into meditation and trance. No, can I fill my mind with God's word? And can I press into this moment? You know what, my kid is before me and he wants to talk to me. Can I put down the phone and turn off the screen? Can I actually get down on his level and talk to him and be fully in the moment? Because that will start removing some of the stress as you realize the timing of your moment, the timing of what's going on. We, we, we talk about how we want less stress in our lives. There's actions we got to take. There is actual tangible things we can do to improve our circumstance. And Esther made that choice. I'll invite the team to come on up. This lady upped her game by practicing patience. 
what's one area of your life that you need to say, Lord, I need more patience here. And I know the, the, the common thing that we've always say is don't ask God for patience. He'll give you more troubles for you to have patience in. But you, you, we need patience, guys. We need patience. We need to understand timing. If God had given me all of the things that he has put in my life today, when I was going to Bible school back then, I would have completely blown through it already. I would have lost his blessings. There's a timing and a season for everything. And so, Lord, what is it that you, I I don't like this stress in my life. I don't like this situation going on, but I need you to intervene and help me to see your timing in everything. Lord, help me to persevere if this is not yet the time for my answer. Lord, give me the strength to continue to not grow weary in doing good, but to remain steadfast. Help me, Lord God, to keep my eyes perfectly stayed upon you, that I may have peace. Lord, help me in this moment to not put my foot in my mouth and get ahead of myself. When I was uh, coming to know Jesus, truly changing my life and giving him control and reign over my life, I told my pastor at the time, I wish God would just give me a map. I was working in corporate America, progressing in in an HR career, considering, do I want to go to Bible school and answer this call that I feel tugging in my heart? And I said to her, I just wish God would give me a map because I don't want to make the wrong decision. She's like, Brian, if God gives you a map, you're going to bypass all the valleys and all the difficult moments and all the challenges. You're going to forego all of the character building moments that God has for you to prepare you to sustain the things that he wants to bring into your life in the future. There's a timing. Esther practiced it. Esther chapter 7. I'll leave you with one last thing. There's more, but I'll leave you with this one. Trust in God's divine providence. She puts on a banquet after risking her life, invites the king to another banquet, shares what's going on. If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and it pleases the king, let my life be granted me for my wish. And she elaborates that there's somebody trying to kill her and kill her people. Read the rest of the story and you'll find that after Esther has done everything that she possibly could do, she met it with bravery. She sought counsel. She sought God's wisdom and guidance through fasting. She put together a strategic plan and worked that plan. Became patient in in taking the steps in the plan. But ever after she did everything that she could do, she entrusted her life to Jesus. She put her hand before the Father. She put her problem before him and said, Lord, your providence, I surrender the outcomes to you. She's talking to a king saying, if I have found favor, my life is in your hands. My request is before you. Yes, she's talking to a king, but she knows the one who can turn the king's heart. You might be looking at a circumstance and a situation 
that's very difficult and stressful in your situation and you've done everything within your power. You've talked to the right authorities. You've gone to the decision makers. Let me just tell you, they're only placeholders to the one who can change everything and orchestrate all details of your life. Remove every stressful strain. Can you press into him and trust that he knows what he's doing? The Bible says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, and he will lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7. Haman's treachery is discovered. He is hung on the very gallows that he built to hang Mordecai. Not only that, the king turns to Esther and says, I'll spare your life and I'll give you his ring. I'll give you his lands and his estates, everything that he has. Funny enough, when she came to him, the king said, you can ask anything up to half the kingdom I give you. She is the queen after all. She already has a portion of the kingdom. And now he gives her everything that Haman had. She's won everything that she needs and more than half. Mordecai is promoted to a position of prominence. He's given Haman's position. Come on, somebody, could you have planned it any better? Joy and holy fear fall on all the Jewish people as the king's edict is rescinded. Chapter 8, verses 7 through 15. There's mighty joy and people are in awe of God. When we trust him to move after we've moved and he redeems us from our stress, there is joy in the land of your home, of your emotions, of your marriage, of your parenting. There is joy in the kingdom. There is joy and there is hope and things change. Participants in a randomly assigned survey were asked to pray before delivering a public speech. These guys had less anxiety, lower blood pressure and heart rates compared to the people who never prayed, who never sought God's help in that moment. Older adults who believed in an afterlife and eternal purpose showed lower depression levels and faster cardiovascular recovery from stressors compared to peers who don't. Church, what am I trying to say to you today? If we just realize that although this book is not scientific, that God creates all science. He knows our bodies. You've got stress, he's got answers. That if we just press in, he's given us spiritual answers, but answers that also impact us physically. You wanna up your game. There is things you can do. Will you stand with me this morning? One of these days I'll preach a short sermon. But till then, thanks for holding on and journeying with me. I really believe this, that some of us are so stressed and strained. So captivated by what's happening around us. And we've bought into these fatalistic lies that things can't change. I don't know who your Haman is. I don't know what's stressing you out this morning. I don't know what fear has gripped your home and your heart. But God's calling you to courage today. He's calling you to stop managing what he wants to deliver you from.
God has not called you to manage what he has desired to deliver you from. I don't know what it is that you're trying to manage. Can you just say, God, I got to surrender. Lord, I can't do anything else because I have done. And Lord, okay, fine. Help me to refresh and do something new in my circumstance. But Lord, I don't want to manage this anymore. I want to entrust it to you. Invite him to deliver you today. As you close your eyes and imagine your stress or your strain, the thing that is robbing you of peace, there's one that's probably robbing somebody here. You've never followed Jesus. You've never come to this God who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask or imagine. You have not encountered this, this person that wants us to clothe ourselves with him and make us new, wash us clean, redeem us from our brokenness, cleanse us from our sins. You've never come in to the one who can change the king's heart, God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ. Then today's your day. I want you to make that decision to say, Jesus, I need you. If you've never encountered Jesus, or maybe you have, but you've spent your days trying to do it yourself, or you've walked away saying, I got a better answer. I know better than him. And you found yourself so far away from God. Then this morning, can you change that? Invite Jesus to help you today follow him. It's about following him drawing a line in the sand and saying today my heart belongs to Christ my walk is following Christ my habits my actions the trajectory of my life is following the words and commandments of Christ if that's you I want you to come to this altar and just pray have your moment with Jesus don't worry about who's on your left and right but secondly if you know that there's a Haman in your life and there's a stress that you need to resolve something you need to entrust to Jesus then please do so today don't leave here the same way you entered let go of the excuses because man nobody's buying it there's something you can do he wants you to up your game. Father, in this moment, I pray that you would speak to every heart through your Holy Spirit. Who knows the mind of God, if not the Spirit of God? Who can search the minds of men and plumb the depths of their heart other than your Holy Spirit? I pray that you right now would move and speak revealing to your church that which needs to change and be redeemed in Jesus mighty name